welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Zararis, and on today's aptly titled Nature versus Nurture episode of the show, we are going to be discussing the quarterback development process in relation to a handful of quarterbacks in the National Football League. Gotta say, National Football League instead of NFL, to sound like Lewis Riddick and uh, Ryan Clark and all the other people who are on ESPN who, for some reason, have to say National Football League every single time they refer to it instead of just saying the NFL, which is a pretty good acronym. NFL, I know everybody on the planet knows what NFL stands for, even if they don't watch football. So uh, we got that going for us. We got that going for us. We're going to say National Football League at every opportunity we can to make us sound like we've we've been in the league for what for what for what it's worth so very straightforward monday night you saw the last of that generation of quarterbacks that 2004 draft class the rivers roethlisberger eli rogers draft class you saw the end of them you saw the last part of that group that's not rogers because rogers is a superhuman and the last one that's not brady from the pre last five years of being drafted type guys. Uh, There are a handful of guys that are a little bit on the older end of that spectrum, whether we're talking about uh, uh, Kirk Cousins or Jimmy Garoppolo, who made debuts more recently than the rest of the people we're talking about. But full sale, Roethlisberger retiring after this next week's game, last game at home, Heinz Field on Monday. We're getting closer to the end of that era of quarterback the stationary pocket guy. And I know that's not entirely fair to Ben because earlier in his career, he was pretty athletic for as big as he was. He was able to move around in the pocket, extend plays, be really difficult to tackle. But for the most part, that type of guy is not going to get really an opportunity at the NFL level because you can be competent at the NFL level if you just have above average mobility NFL teams will take a flyer on you and hope they can fix your accuracy. The Eagles are going to make the playoffs with Jalen Hurts, who still is not a particularly accurate passer, but is such a good athlete that they're able to make an offense work for him. And you can be competitive at this level if everything else around you is correct. I haven't said the name of the quarterback that inspired today's episode. Of course, I am talking about the other quarterback who played on Monday Night Football, Baker Mayfield, too. Anybody who has listened to the podcast before knows I am a staunch defender of Baker Mayfield, the Oklahoma player who had two of the four most accurate passing seasons in the history of college football up until that point, how accurate and how good he was at throwing into relatively tight windows, being able to process what was in front of him, find the open guy and just get rid of it. And what you saw on Monday night was the shell of what was once a good quarterback, and I really do want to say, I think Mayfield is the perfect example of nature versus nurture because he got jacked up by what happened around him, what happened around him, messed up his internal process, and that dragged the entire team down. And this is not me defending Mayfield. Mayfield has been objectively bad this year. His numbers are very, very bad. He has not looked good. And it's not a case of, well, he doesn't have good numbers, but he's played well. He has not played well this year in any real capacity. If the Browns had even replacement-level quarterback play, that is likely a playoff team. That team could have won 11, 10 games in that division, won the AFC North, and moved along. But... I don't want to give away too much of today's show, so I'll talk to you guys 
in a sec. But before we do the drop and we get to the show, got to remind everyone to help support the show. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, everywhere you can listen to podcasts. This podcast is available for download there. Apple Podcasts, leave a review, subscribe, go to the show's page, scroll past our recent episodes, five clear purple stars, hit the one furthest to the right, five-star review. Underneath that is a button with purple letters that says write a review, hit that, leave a couple words of encouragement. Got to start organically trying to grow the show. I got to do more stuff. We got to make this community grow. Got to get gotta get it going this year there's a reason we're stuck we're sticking to it daily episodes we're gonna get the routine going we're gonna get guests going we're gonna have fun i promise i promise i will not just bitch about the rangers and the giants on this podcast or the mets or the knicks or liverpool or hendrick or any of the other teams i have a vested interest or somewhat vested interest in watching okay that's enough of the preamble. I will see you guys on the other side of the drop. We're going to talk about Baker Mayfield and some of the other young quarterbacks in the NFL. And what's going on around them and how it impacts them internally. And with that, we will get on into it. So... The first thing I want to talk about in this conversation is the difference between this year and last year with the Browns. Last year, we saw Baker in a very tailored offense to his traits. They were using a lot of three tight end sets, had Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt going at all times. Jarvis Landry, the clear number one receiver. Rashard Higgins was the number two guy in that offense. They had Donovan Peoples-Jones. He did not have nearly the role he's had this year. Odo Beckham got hurt pretty early in the season. Wasn't a factor. Okay production from Austin Hooper. They had Harrison Bryant and David Njoku. One of the better run-blocking offensive lines in the entire league. Two pro bowlers, I believe, on that offensive line. And uh, Joel Batonio and Wyatt Teller. And J.C. Treader also played really well last year. They got great, great production out of Jedrick Wills, the tackle they drafted. And then the other tackle was um, Jack Conklin. Five really strong offensive linemen. They were run-first team running Kevin Stefanski, the Browns head coach's take on the Mike Shanahan offense that the Broncos ran in the 90s, that the Washington football team, uh, when Mike Shanahan was there later on, when his son Kyle was there, when... um, Sean McVay was there, when Matt LaFleur was there. That It's all takes on that. It's zone running, it's play action, it's a lot of underneath things, and using play action to set up some shots, running the ball efficiently, and trying to make your quarterback's life easier. The way you think about playing quarterback, at least at the NFL level, you have tools to make your quarterback's life easier. I don't want to say training wheels because you still have to be able to make the reads and process what's going on in front of you, but think of using play action a lot as training wheels, making it easier to ride the bike when you're a little kid and you don't really have a good sense of balance yet. That's what running a lot of play action did for Baker last year. They got him moving around outside the pocket, and when you're only six foot like Baker is, getting outside the pocket is important because you have to be able to see what's going on in front of you. You can't see everything behind that defense. Excuse me, behind the offensive line when you're short like Baker is, and they were able to get him outside the pocket. He was pretty good last year at rolling to his left, which is unorthodox for somebody who's right-handed, but using designed rollouts, they were able to make things happen there. It's a tendency breaker. Assuming 
because Baker's right-handed, they want him to roll to his right, and he was actually rolling to his left on play fakes. That was confusing the defense, and it made his life a little bit easier. The throws are easier. And Baker had a really nice stretch last year, last six, seven games of the season. They win the playoff game against the Steelers with backup offensive linemen and not um, Kevin Stefanski as the head coach who was home because he had COVID. They had a pretty bad COVID outbreak. If you remember in Week 17 and the week the first week of the playoffs last year when they beat the Steelers, but the wheels came off for the Browns very, very quickly this year, and it started with the Baker injuries, and they've had they've been decimated by injuries. They've missed a lot of games from a lot of people. They had the Odell stuff in the middle of the season before they caught him. He's gone to uh, the Ra- the Rams. I almost said the Raiders. He's gone to the Rams. He's played pretty well there. I believe Odell has five touchdowns since he's gotten to L.A. Browns still have enough talent where they should have made the playoffs, and them not making the playoffs is a disappointment. And it falls on Baker's shoulders, and I'm not just going to do the... Colin Cowherd, the Ryan Clark, the Stephen A., the Max Kellerman. He just needs to be better because he has... No. Baker was hurt. Baker was hurt. And he said he was okay. The Browns did not want to usurp him and say, Nah, Baker might say he's okay, but we don't want him playing. They sent him out there with the bad rotator cuff, with the sore knee, with the ankle. When you can't roll him out, you're taking away parts of the toolbox. When he doesn't have the play fix, when he cannot roll out of the pocket, and he has to make decisions from within that pocket, that is when he gets into trouble. That is what you saw in year one and year two of Baker Mayfield, where as soon as the pass rush was on him, he was bailing out of the pocket, even if he still had room in the pocket, which is something I'm going to talk about in a second here, where you're not trusting what your eyes see, and that perfectly manifested itself on that one play in last night's game where I believe it was third and four third and two rather and Mayfield takes the snap drops back he has three guys open by the time he gets to the end of his drop he's taking a three-step drop it's a really quick read because he they only need a handful of yards to get the first down he has three receivers open in his field of view he pumps the ball once moves a little bit more in the pocket and gets sacked there are three guys who are wide open And Mayfield doesn't throw the ball because he doesn't trust what he's seeing because he has absolutely no confidence in his ability to make throws, even to guys who are wide open. That is where we get into the nature versus nurture discussion. He needs things to be perfect for him to be effective at this level. There are a lot of quarterbacks like that. Andy Dalton was that with the Bengals for quite a while. Jimmy Garoppolo is like that with the 49ers right now. Daniel Jones, I imagine, if he ever gets on a halfway decent team, that's what he'll be for the Giants. I think that's probably going to be what Tua ends up being if he hangs around at the NFL level. If everything is perfect for them, you give them a good scheme, they can competently run an NFL team. Last year you saw Baker not being too aggressive, knowing where the ball needs to go, and not trying to do too much. Last night, well, I'm saying this on Tuesday about the game that was on Monday night, but you'll be listening to this on Wednesday, at least at the late, earliest on Wednesday. He did not trust you. He was seeing in front of him at one point, 10 straight incompletions. And this is where we can kind of break things down in a way. The problem for Mayfield, amongst many problems, he tries to be an arm thrower. And when I say arm thrower, I'm talking about what Aaron Rodgers, what Patrick Mahomes, what Josh Allen do. 
where they only throw using their upper body. They're not using their abdomen, they're not using their legs, and they're not pointing their lower body where the ball needs to go. And if you have an elite arm talent like a Rodgers, like an Allen, like a Mahomes, like Justin Herbert, where you can only throw with your shoulders and your arm, that's terrific. Baker Mayfield is not that guy. He does not have the upper body strength to do that. Even going back to Oklahoma, when he was 100%, the best we ever saw Mayfield playing football, he's always tried to be an arm thrower, if you're an arm thrower and your upper body is injured, which he is, he has a torn left labrum, he's supposed to be getting surgery at some point during this week, it's going to hold him out of the week 18 game, that doesn't have any meaning for them, his entire upper body alignment is off because he's wearing a harness on his left arm, he's not practicing all the time because he's so dinged up, he's not getting repetitions wearing that harness, so he's still trying to be an arm thrower, but he doesn't have his full range of motion, he's not going to be able to be as accurate. This is exactly, exactly, exactly what has happened to Cam Newton post the second labrum surgery where his entire life, Cam Newton, I'm talking about right now, was always had a cannon arm. He was able to throw a football hard as hell and he only needed to do it with his upper body and he was able to get away with it because his arm was so strong. So his accuracy, while it wasn't elite, he was able to compensate for it because he had such a big arm. Once he had that second labrum surgery with his right arm, he still tried that labrum, soldier, labrum surgery in his right shoulder, not arm. Your labrum is in your shoulder. He's still trying to make the throws he did his entire life, but he doesn't have the arm strength anymore. And since he's not using his lower body to aim where he's supposed to be throwing the ball, he's losing accuracy. That is what's happened to Baker here. He is not using his lower body anymore. He is still trying to make those throws that he was never particularly good at, those only upper body throws. You need to use your legs. You don't have elite arm strength. You need to have perfect mechanics. Mayfield's mechanics are awful. He's making those decisions partly because he is injured. He is compensating. Think about how you feel you walk when your foot hurts and you're stepping a little bit different than you normally would on the other foot to compensate for the other foot hurting. That's what Mayfield is doing with a lot of his body because he's had a dinged up knee, the labrum, he had an ankle. That is what he's doing. He's moving differently than he ever has at any point in his life because he's so dinged up. He's not as accurate. And when he's not accurate, he's not able to roll out of the pocket. So that takes away the play action stuff. He has to stay in the pocket so he doesn't have as good of passing lanes because he cannot see over the offensive line. He is not stepping into his throws because he has stubbornly refused to improve on his mechanics. And without the arm strength he had pre-labrum injury and his non-throwing labrum, he just can't make the throws right now. And he's still trying to play like he's Josh Allen or Aaron Rodgers. And when he was healthy last year and he was still making these dumb throws, it wasn't as bad because he still had a little bit of arm strength and was able to make those throws. Now, he can't get the ball where it needs to go. That's the only way you incomplete 11 straight passes in a game. If you don't have good mechanics, it is really hard to throw something where you're trying to throw it. Think, Pick up a baseball and try and throw it where you want it to go without stepping into your throw. The, the old drill they always used to have you do when you were a kid playing baseball, you put your non-throwing arm out straight in front of you. You take the ball with your throwing hand, put it behind your arm, and you want where your opposite arm is pointing straight out. Where you release the ball in your throwing hand is where you want your other hand to have just been. You want to finish your throw 
in a way that's swinging your body so that the other arm is coming into your body and the ball, the hand with the ball in it is going out and finishing where you just had the other arm. Those are the kind of simple mechanic things that uh, there's really no excuse for them not being right other than you're not practicing right. And Mayfield is very injured. He isn't practicing regularly. So that is a genuine problem. The Browns sending him out there when they are paying a premium rate for Case Keenum to be their backup quarterback is dumb. It is just flat out dumb. And it is a bad environment for your quarterback to be in where he is physically compromised. You have to change your scheme because he was physically compromised. And because you had to change your scheme, you have to take away things he's good at and you have to make him do things he's not good at. If you take away the play action from Mayfield and you make him a straight drop back guy, we know Baker is terrible against the Blitz. When you send heat at him, he is one of the least efficient passers in the entire league. I believe last year it was him and Goff were the two worst quarterbacks when they were blitzed in the entire league. And I think it was QBR. It might have been expected points added, but one of those two stats. That is the kind of thing that other teams are going to know. The Steelers last night had nine sacks of Baker Mayfield, and they knew he wasn't going to be able to get out of the pocket. They knew they had to drop him straight back because he doesn't have the mobility to move around. That kind of shit is how you end up getting fired, even though you're not a bad coach. And I don't think Kevin Stefanski is going to get fired. He won coach of the year and a playoff game last year. I do very well think Baker Mayfield could have played his last game as a Brown. They have him for next year as his fifth-year option, but I don't think Mayfield was set up for success. And part of that is his own stubbornness. He shouldn't have played after he tore the labrum in his non-throwing shoulder because he's not, he hasn't been right all year. He's been very, very poor this year. Like I said, 3,000 passing yards, 17 touchdowns, 10 picks. I mean, that's a great year for Daniel Jones, but... I, I, like I said in the intro, I'm not going to shit on the Giants. I'm not going to complain about the Giants. I'm not going to complain about the Giants. But I think it's fair to say Baker's environment got jacked up, and he hasn't been right since. And because he needs a perfect environment, he's a case study of he needs everything right to be or everything to be right around him. He's the perfect example of needing a good environment around him and being unable to overcome what's around him he's learned these bad habits this year because of the environment he's in now the weird in-between one here the one i want to talk about briefly before we get to the other end of the spectrum is the i don't know how they're doing this category of guys and that of course i'm talking about joe burrow who is not the most physically gifted athlete. He does not have an elite arm. He does not have elite mobility. But God willing, Joe is making it work behind a god-awful offensive line. And it's purely, purely on his intelligence as a quarterback. You saw it in the game this past week against Kansas City. Yes, last week against the Ravens, where it was Ravens practice squad defensive backs. Yes, I know they they shouldn't count the 500-plus yards entirely the same as normal passing yards because it was against such a bad secondary. But for the sake of this conversation, it's very interesting because Joe Burrow is not in a great environment. The Bengals are not a well-run team. They are not extremely talented. They are not well-coached. They have a very bad head coach who also calls their offense, which I do think is a problem. And Joe Burrow got 
gotten a lot better as the course of the season has gone on. There have been flashes of really good things. He only played the four games last year before he got his leg broken in that really gruesome injury. But he knows where the ball needs to go, and he knows how to read the defense. There was more than one occasion where what Burrow did, just purely seeing, oh, it's man coverage, okay, I just got to wait for Jamar to make his move, I'm going to hit him. Or, against the Ravens, there was a play where the nickel corner was coming on a blitz. Burrow immediately recognized the nickel blitz was coming, and because he knew somebody was blitzing from his right, he knew that there would be open space there for his receiver. All he had to do was get the ball there, even if he didn't know exactly when the receiver would be there, he knew there was open space, so he got the ball there. I think it was to Jamar Chase, and they picked up the first down on the play purely because, okay, I see this guy's cheating towards he's going to blitz me. It's going to be open space because if he's coming from there, that means nobody's going to be there. That is the kind of thing you want to see from a quarterback making progress. And I was high on Burrow. I am a huge Joe Burrow fan, like not as an expert and an analyst. Like I am obviously as an analyst, but that kid is really fucking good in not the best environment and he's figuring it out man you let him figure you out you make those decisions like the third and 28 play i believe where the chiefs blitzed for some reason had man coverage on the outside burrow hit his man got the first down got down in that red zone and burrow is a guy whose confidence plays into his ability where you saw him after the game, even though he had to get helped off the field at one point on that last drive before they kicked the field goal to win the game, he was kind of hobbling, getting the shit kicked at him. He got his nameplate ripped off his jersey, which I'd never seen before at the NFL level. But there he was in the locker room, smoking cigars, do- dancing to get the gat with Jamar Chase like they were at LSU again. And I really think for certain guys, the confidence is almost as important as their talent. And that's something that has played to Baker Mayfield's detriment is that he is too confident in his own abilities. He doesn't know his limitations and he's still trying to make stupid, really aggressive plays when he can't. Whereas for Burrow, he knows he can make the play. So he just makes the play. He's had a couple stinkers. The one game against the Bears where he had the three interceptions. Burrow, I'm talking about, lingers in my mind. I think Rokon Smith intercepted him twice on back-to-back possessions. Kind of ugly stuff where he just didn't see him either time. But Burrow is succeeding in a less-than-ideal environment. That is somebody that leads me to believe that there are individual players who are able to supersede their environments that they're dealing with and... Some of this is just innate physical ability or mental acuity, and it can't be taught. I, you can't teach what Burrow's doing, because if you could, there'd be a lot more good college quarterbacks who make it at the NFL level. And Burrow's going to, Burrow is going to be the streaker in the MVP conversation. And what I mean by that is the real discussion will be Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady The football media is going to have Cooper Cup and Jonathan Taylor in the discussion because of the stats they're putting up. Joe Burrow is the guy streaking across the field just to say, hey, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, don't forget about me. I had a really great year this year. My team would be god-awful if I wasn't here. I know I'm not going to win, but you better not forget I was really good this year. That's what Joe Burrow is. He is the streaker in the MVP conversation.
Now, at the other end of the spectrum is the bad quarterback in the bad environment that is really, 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 really a cautionary tale. The This is why you need to make sure you're setting your quarterback up for success as much as possible, which I think is the most important thing you can take away from today's episode of the show. Every quarterback who gets to the NFL in any capacity, even as a backup, as a practice squad guy, was really good at football at some point in their life. In college, or just a really good athlete in high school, hung around in college, got some training camp invites, whatever. You don't get to the NFL without having some talent. Now, on the sliding scale of talent in the NFL, there's a big, 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 big gap between the Sean Mannions and the Jake Fromms of the world and the Aaron Rodgers and the Patrick Mahomes world. But there's no such thing as an untalented NFL player. They're all on a scale, and they are less talented than other NFL players, but they're all talented. If they're at that level, they all have some talent. And it doesn't matter how talented you are. If the environment around you is too bad, you can struggle to overcome it. Now, there are guys who are talented enough to overcome their environment. Those are outliers and exceptions to the rule. If you put Tom Brady on the Jaguars, they could probably win seven or eight games just with Tom Brady. Same, I'd say, with Aaron Rodgers, with Patrick Mahomes. Really elite guys can do that. You put Teddy Bridgewater on the Jaguars, three games, maybe, they win, four? Look at what the Texans did without Deshaun Watson this year. Think about what Deshaun Watson could do on a really good team. And this is not talking about the -the off-the-field stuff. Of course, until that stuff is justified, no rectified, I should say, those victims get their justice or they get a settlement that they feel justified receiving. Even Deshaun Watson, as talented as he was, he got that Texans team to the playoffs a couple of times. Bill O'Brien, as his head coach, which should just tell you how good he is. Last year, that team fell apart. They only won three, four games, whatever it was, and they had, of course, traded their pick to get Laramie Tunsil a left tackle, and that was pretty much all the talent on their team was Deshaun Watson and Laramie Tunsil. But as good as some guys are, They can't elevate the talent around them. Kirk Cousins, he's a good quarterback. He can't elevate the guys around him. He cannot make them better. And I am talking about now, the quarterback I'm talking about who's in the bad environment that might derail him forever is Trevor Lawrence. I saw Trevor Lawrence play in person last week. I went to the last two Jet games. Yes, I know. I need mental help. I know. I know. But against the Jets, I vividly remember at least four drops his wide receivers made on balls that hit them in the chest or the hands without defensive coverage where there was nobody hitting the player as they were catching the ball and they just didn't catch it because they lacked the softness of their hands they weren't paying full attention weren't focused on catching the ball they were trying to think about what they were going to do after the ball trevor lawrence has a lot of raw talent he needs someone to channel that talent in a way to get production out of him He is not a Aaron Rodgers, a Patrick Mahomes, a Justin Herbert, who, if the environment is less than stellar, he can make things happen. 
At least not yet. Maybe in a two in a year or two, Trevor Lawrence will be good enough and more refined in his traits that he can elevate the talent around him and win games with a less than stellar supporting cast like some of the other quarterbacks we've seen in recent history. But, of course, if you're going to draft a quarterback in the first round, wouldn't it be better if you did what New England did, where you just dropped them into a perfect setting? I don't think Mac Jones is the most physically talented quarterback. I don't think he is the most gifted quarterback in any sense. He might be decent pre-snap reading stuff. I do. I have noticed that as the season's gone along, New England has increased his responsibilities and abilities at the line of scrimmage where he can identify things and change plays. But I don't think he's a Peyton Manning-esque film room guy where he knows everything about everybody in the league. But the Patriots are going to go to the playoffs this year with a handful of incremental roster improvements. They signed two tight ends. They brought Matthew Jude on in. They got a few guys who opted out of the season last year. They traded for a couple of pieces. But that team is not insanely talented. But New England knew if we're bringing this guy in, we got to set him up for success. So we got to go get two tight ends so that we can have those guys in there for run blocking situations and we can use play action and we can use RPOs. I like what New England has done with Mac Jones, and they will be competitive with Mac Jones because they set him up from success from the jump. There's no one year, two years, then in year three, we kind of got the team rectified around him. He's in a good situation. He's got a good head coach. I am skeptical of Josh McDaniels as an offensive coordinator and his ability to develop quarterbacks, which is weird because... All of these football media people I keep writing about, I keep reading about recommending Josh McDaniels as the coach for the Jaguars, citing his quarterback development ability. He won two games with Jimmy G. They won nine games with Matt Castle. And I don't even know. He wasn't the offense. He was in Denver when the, they won the nine games with Matt Castle. And they won one game with Jacoby Brissett as a starter. And yes, they've going to make the playoffs with Mac Jones in year one, but. I don't really think he developed anybody. I think he's ridden the coattails of Tom Brady into the history books and the ability to be a head coach. But New England has set Mac Jones up for success, and he's rewarded them. He hasn't been flashy. His numbers aren't gaudy. He's not in the... I don't think he's going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year anymore. I do think Jamar Chase, the last two weeks he's had, he's going to end up winning it. But Mac Jones is comfortable... And then next year, they can slowly start to take the training wheels off the bike. They can open things up a little bit more for him and say, all right, you know, you know the basics now. Okay, now we can get a little bit more complicated, and we can do stuff that's going to make the defense's life a little bit more difficult. That is what you want. Not what the Jaguars are doing with Trevor Lawrence, where year one was pretty much a wash. His head coach resigned after 12 games. He has no discernible skill talent on his offense aside from running back James Robinson. That defense is a mess. Uh, Clavon Chason, pretty bad at the NFL level. I very much ate the LSU cheese in 2019. I thought Jamar Chase, uh, Jamar Chase, Clavon Chason, the edge rusher from LSU, was going to be pretty good at the NFL level. There's a few other of those guys. Patrick Queen comes to mind, the, the other linebacker, the, the one on the Chargers that was on that LSU defense. But... Jacksonville wasted a year of Trevor Lawrence's development. If you are going to win a Super Bowl, you either need Tom Brady or you need a quarterback on their rookie salary. 
once you have to start paying somebody $40 million a year, you do not have enough cap space to build out the rest of the roster around them, especially because the key things you need, edge rushers, offensive tackles, are fucking expensive. That is the problem. The 49ers, even if Jimmy G was playing really well, are going to have to move on because they are going to have to give Nick Bosa a massive extension. They've already paid Kittle. They've already paid Trent Williams. They're going to have to pay Debo Samuel. You can only afford so many of those elite guys, even if you draft well. That is why you need to set your guys up for success as soon as possible, especially, especially the quarterback. You can have a very good team around an average quarterback and get to the Super Bowl. We've seen it. Jimmy Garoppolo, Jared Goff, going a little bit earlier than that, Joe Flacco, you the corpse of Peyton Manning, the year they beat Carolina in the Super Bowl. Peyton Manning was not very good that year, but Denver won because he was really good between the ears and they had an elite defense. You can win a Super Bowl with an average quarterback. Everything else needs to be perfect around them, and that's why it's a lot easier to win a Super Bowl if you have a very good quarterback. If you have a good quarterback who can elevate the talent around you, it's a lot easier to get good production out of guys who are a little bit underpaid than it is to overpay the skill guys around them and then hope they can make an average quarterback i just don't think it's realistically feasible or cost efficient really to build a roster in that way where you make everything really expensive around them and you have an average quarterback look at what the vikings are now because they've spent a lot on kirk cousins they've had to hollow out other parts of the team i mean when that team went to the nfc title game and lost to the eagles that was a loaded defense that was one of the best defenses in the league that season And they said, all right, well, we can't win a Super Bowl with a very good defense and an average quarterback in Case Keenum. Let's go get a quarterback who's 15% better than Case Keenum and Kirk Cousins. They've had to pay him commensurate with market increases for that position over the last couple of years. He's up to close to, I believe, 37, 38 million, something in that ballpark. And they've had to gut other parts of the roster. It's expensive, man. Paying market value is expensive in football. It is hard to build a championship roster in any sport when you are paying market value for anybody in your lineup, especially if you were paying market value at the premium positions like quarterback, left tackle, edge rusher, number one corner, if you're somebody in the Stephon Gilmore, Darrell Revis class of number one corners. That's all today's show is about. I just want to get your brain working, thinking about quarterbacks, what we expect of them, what their teams expect of them, and how realistic what their team expects of them is based on what the team is doing. It was not realistic for the Jaguars to expect Trevor Lawrence to be successful with everything that was going on around him this season. It was reasonable to expect the Patriots can be competitive this year because they took steps to make Mac Jones's life easier. In my preseason spreadsheet where I picked every single game, I had New England, I believe, at nine wins. I think I thought they'd be fine. I didn't think they would be this good, but... Mac Jones a little bit better than I expected because the environment's good, because he's not being asked to do too much. He can be fine. Baker Mayfield asked to do a decent amount because they thought he could based on what he did last year. Not healthy, overconfident in his own abilities, not learning from his mistakes, stubbornly playing through injury, and then 
unraveling, like just full stop unraveling. What you saw on Monday night was a full blown like unraveling at that position that you don't really see in prime time often. That that game, the Monday night game between the Steelers and the Browns, very much had the vibe of a game that's shown on red zone three times the entire day. The Jets have played in a few of those this year. The Giants have played in a few of those this year, where. The final score is 17-14, and you have only go to red zone for the five scoring plays between the two teams. That's what that game felt like. I watched the Manning cast and made it a little bit more bearable, but Baker's got a long road back, man. I don't think the Browns can justify giving him an extension. He goes into his fifth-year option next year, and they very well might say, get healthy, we'll let you walk at the end of the season. No hard feelings, we're going back to the drawing board. That's about all I'm going to have time for today. I'm trying to keep these episodes where I'm by myself a little bit shorter than the older ones. I was doing some reading, and from what I've gathered, the the attention span starts to wane after about 30 minutes. So trying to keep the ones where it's just me without a guest shorter. I will see you guys tomorrow. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Please remember to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, leave a review. And I'm being told that you can leave reviews on Spotify now, so... Please, if you listen to the show on Spotify, leave a five-star review. That'd be great. I'll see you guys tomorrow.